Welcome back to Home Inspector Training. I am Garth Haslam, the home medic. Good to have you on board. Today's subject, we're talking about garage doors. In this segment, we're going to talk about the walls and ceiling and uh, inspection points within the walls and ceiling and, you know, the shell of the garage space. As the home inspector, there are a number of items you're going to want to look for. First and foremost of those, of course, is going to be holes. Now, most fires start in the garage, and so as a result, there's a number of things you should be looking for. One, of course, is did the homeowner, when they did the garage themselves, did they go with a fire-rated sheetrock? Now, sometimes if it's already finished, you can't tell, so you're going to have to go on faith there. Quite often, though, somebody will rock the entire place, and then a homeowner will start cutting holes. Maybe they want to cut holes for plumbing or electrical. I've seen a thousand times where a homeowner decided that they didn't want to attach the garage door opener to sheetrock or through sheetrock, but instead they'll actually cut a chunk of the sheetrock out and then attach to the 2x4s, the rafters located above. So if you got that sort of thing going, that's going to be a write-up because every one of those holes represents a fire transmission pathway. Firemen will tell you that your garage is going to be the origin of most home fires, and so you want to keep the fire in the garage and not allow it to spread into the house. Of course, if you got openings for whatever reason, then that's going to be an easy pathway into the rest of the house. Quite often, what I will see is that you'll have maybe an attic hatch. And again, this can depend on what part of the country you live in. But for some of us, the attic hatch, there is nothing going on up there. The only thing that is ever going on up there is rafters and insulation and perhaps the occasional critter. But people don't ever go up there. As a result, quite often it gets ignored. But Sometimes that attic hatch will be a chunk of sheetrock that maybe was intended to go up there and it's long since gone. As a result, you can get birds and bats, etc. up there. But you can also get fire that goes from the garage into the attic as a result of not having any sort of an attic hatch going on there. Kind of reminds me of a story I'll tell you quickly, but there was an attic hatch that was missing inside an old two-story home where a bunch of girls are living. And it was January. They were all in coats. Their house was about 45 degrees. And uh, we asked them why, and they said the house was too expensive to heat. Well, it turns out that they didn't have any attic hatch installed there. They just left it open. And so as a result, all the heat in the house that they were doing was going directly into the attic and warming the pigeons that were living up in the attic space. So these are the kind of things you're going to want to pay attention to as a home inspector. Now, fire-rated sheetrock is going to be 5 eighths inch. Standard sheetrock is a half inch. I have been asked why people don't just do fire-rated sheetrock everywhere. It's, uh, it's about a dollar more expensive, give or take, per sheet. It does have the advantage that it's more fire-protective. It also has the advantage that it's a little bit more sound-insulative but it's not used throughout the house because there are other pathways through the house for fire, i.e. hallways. So it might be shooting an ant with a cannon to go the whole home with fire-rated sheetrock. 
But that may be a question you get asked. What's the difference between fire rated and standard? And your answer is that the fire rated is five eighths, where the other is half inch. So the door to the garage, you need to pay attention to that as well. As I'd mentioned, most home fires start in the garage and they move into the home through whatever pathways it can find, be that an attic hatch or the door that actually goes into the living space. What that means to you is that you should inspect for a sprung hinge that forces that door to default in the closed position. So Johnny and his mom go through the door. They're bringing groceries in. They don't have hands to close the door, but that spring on the hinges actually closes the door for them behind them. If that is not there or if they've removed the pins on those sprung hinges, you as the home inspector need to point that out and write that up. I have a macro that I use. It's DTG, which is short for door to garage. And whenever my processor sees that, it changes DTG into a short phrase, door to garage should be sprung to close. It's one of my ways of saving time on very predictable and often seen inspection points. So make sure you catch that one. Sometimes, like I say, the spring is there, but somebody decided it was annoying because the door, sometimes they maybe want to bring in groceries and it's nice to have the door open. So they make the mistake of removing the pins. If those pins are gone, that needs to be written up. You need your family safe. Another thing I want you to be aware of, occasionally you will see a home where the garage and the main living area are on the same level. Sometimes you'll actually have people that will step down from the garage into the living space. You might have already figured this out, but there's cars in the garage. If somebody goes out and they try to warm the car up in the garage that is on the same level as the house, that's obviously going to be a carbon monoxide thing, especially if the garage door is closed or even if it's perhaps open, you can still get a great deal of carbon monoxide go into the house. So that's something that you're going to want to point out to the clients as well is that you do have a risk of carbon monoxide if you got everything on the same level and that they need to make double sure if that's the case that that door seals against carbon monoxide problems. You'll also want to make sure that they understand that they don't ever want to warm the car up in the garage without the door between the garage and the living space closed and sealed and the garage door all the way open. These are good ways to take care of your clients and get loyalty as a home inspector and to show what you know and earn that $5 that you're charging. Now, another one of the inspection points that you're going to want to pay attention to in the garage. And codes can change, so I don't want to go quoting codes, but let's just go back to reality. For me, reality is that there needs to be electrical plugs in a garage. And at the present time in the area that I'm in, code allows for there to be one plug. I think that's not anywhere near enough. Obviously, it can depend. Maybe you've got a single mom who the only thing she ever does in her garage is park the car, and then she walks in and she does her thing. For her, one electrical plug out there may be enough. You don't want to make that assumption, however. Another one of my stories that I have is early on in my career, 
I did an inspection without the client there, so I didn't find anything out about her, but I found out that we had termites, there was structural settlement, there was plumbing problems, there was electrical problems, there was asbestos. So I basically wrote in the report, don't buy this house. Once I found out a little bit after the fact, turns out this single woman who didn't seem like a match at all for this house, turns out she was a contractor. And so she had the ability definitely to deal with all of these issues. At that point, I realized it is not my role to tell most buyers, buy this home or don't buy this home. You just paint a picture of where the home is at, and they can decide for themselves if that's something that matches their needs. That's the bigger picture thing. I'm going to go back to electrical and garages. It is one of those dances that you will be doing. For example, if you've got a garage with one electrical plug, you'll just want to bring that up. You'll want to ask them a little bit about what their lifestyle is, if they like to do woodworking out there, if they have maybe a welder, if they've got a freezer out there, if they've got a sprinkler system control box that's going to be out there, battery chargers, tools, any of that. If they've got that thing going out there, they're going to be needing multiple plugs. You'll want to make sure that they understand that one plug will not be enough for them out there. Then there is the question of whether GFI plugs are something you want out there. Another one of my stories, I did an inspection where they had a collection of falcons. And that was kind of a cool house to inspect. They had about a half dozen falcons, maybe a few more. And most of those, but not all of them, were out in this little bird condo out in the backyard. One of them was actually hooded and sitting in the middle of the garage while I did my inspection. It couldn't see me, of course, because it was hooded, but I noticed that it always knew exactly where I was because it would face toward me at all times. In that particular house, I got a call a couple days after my inspection. They said, you popped the GFI breaker, and it ruined all of our falcon meat, and now we expect you to pay for all of the falcon meat. Turned out that I was not the one who did that because it happened the day after I left. But you get the point. You need to make sure that the clients are clear that if they're going to have freezers and refrigerators out there, that they do not place that appliance on a GFI plug. If anything happens, that GFI plug, they just lost everything. By contrast, you do need to have GFI plugs out there because if maybe you've got an electric weed whacker or electric whatever it may be, those things do need to be plugged in for safety reasons onto a GFI type plug. And, you know, we're not going to be talking specifically, you know, directly in depth about the difference between GFI plugs or not. That will be another segment or your own research. But we do need to have at least one of both, in my opinion. Code says otherwise, as of the time that I'm recording right now, code says otherwise. But from a reality standpoint, you'll want to point out to the clients after you learn something about them, you make a judgment call as to whether one plug is going to be adequate for them. And then whether it is or not, you'll probably want to recommend that they add more plugs. In the report, you'll want to include that as well without necessarily calling it a deficiency, again, depending on the family. Sometimes it's just a note to prove that you saw it, and sometimes it's a bigger issue. An example of when it might be a lesser issue would be maybe it's a condo and they don't have any work to do outside, and it's a single-car garage, and they can't do anything other than park the car in the garage. If that's the case, 
less of an issue. If you got a three or four car garage and it's got one electrical plug by contrast, that's a problem and it absolutely needs to be written up and you know, maybe then you start considering whether you call that a high priority or not. So these are the judgments you're going to have to make. In any case, do so with a spirit of service in mind. It will work out better for you. Take care of those customers. They're the most important thing in your life during those two hours. And you don't take phone calls. You don't really do much of anything there. They are king and God while you are with them. So make sure they understand that. HomeMedicUSA.com, Notchi.org for other information. And as always, go out there, serve people well, honor them, give them reason to trust you, never talk down to them, and do me proud.